The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Welcome to Ask Alex episode 191 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com homepage. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on oneouter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at oneouter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, episode 191, we are here, we are recording as live. The site was down for a few days last week, that was very stressful, but I don't want to bore people with that because they might have saw my tweets back and forward with the hosting company, so... Let's not jinx it. It's all working now. Touch wood. What have you been up to? I like how you didn't even want to say the hosting company's name because you didn't want them to get any business <laughs> after this whole thing. Uh, I'm good. Uh, losing my voice a little bit because I've been teaching quite a bit this week, but sounding pretty good now, feeling pretty good now. Just hanging out in Queens, looking at... Uh, the brick buildings outside my window. It's, we're in the middle of a heat wave, so it's nice to be in this air-conditioned room talking to you, Barry. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm feeling much better than my little Scottish cold I had last week. So everyone can relax now and move on with their lives. Um, I'm, I'm, I've recovered. Uh, recovering. I'll still drag it out a little bit. Um, but, yeah, no. The, the only thing I will take away from the whole hosting debacle was... Sometimes things aren't your fault at all. Like, literally, it was a server migration. For those technical people, they'll know what that was. It was all done on their end, and it screwed around with one of the settings, which caused problems for me uploading new files and things. They then went and fixed that, but then wrecked other parts of it. And then they said, oh, if you want to fix that, you'll need to do that yourself. And they proceeded to send me links to Google pages, and it wasn't even their website, you know, help section. I said, no, I don't need to be told how to Google things. You you broke this. I want you to fix it. And it took like four or five hours calls back and forward over the weekend. And I don't know what you're like, Alex, but when there's something like that that's just annoying me and stressing me, I don't relax until I get it done or accomplished or at least do all I can in that moment and in that day to sort of do it. Otherwise, for me to say, okay, I'll deal with this tomorrow, I'm then just wasting my time anyway because I'm thinking about it. So it was like a dog with a bone, and, you know, I just got myself in a bit of a uh, stressed state with it. And then, you know, eventually, once it was in their hands, I was like, right, I don't care how long it takes for them to fix it now, but at least I know they're working on it. You know, people would, I'm sitting waiting on them emailing me back. I call back just to make sure. They're like, oh, we closed that support ticket. They said it was fixed. I'm like, just 
you name it, it was unreal. So hopefully nothing like that happens again in the uh, near future. You know, I understand things can happen, you know, now and again, but yeah, I don't want to be dealing with that again. So I've made a few other changes on the site, etc. that uh, should make for a smooth recovery if things like that do happen next time. But we got it all out. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and all these other places where people download it from. And the people that were contacting me saying that the site was down were actually really helpful and not like entitled, like, where's my podcast? This is, you know, terrible. We expect this every Thursday. I think they get used to the sort of, um, I like to call it, you know, the masking tape and sticky back plastic glue approach that I use to record on the podcast. Um, as Alex will testify to at the start of this show, we're trying out new recording software because uh, Skype doesn't allow uh, the one that I used previously. The new Skype, I should say. So that's all the boring technical stuff um, gone. Um, Alex, what's been happening with you? I did see some emails in the midst of ones from support from yourself, and you've got a WPT coming up as well. I got two WPTs coming up because there's not many in this part of the country. Well, there are a number of tournaments on the East Coast of the United States, but major tournaments, not as many as there would be in the Los Angeles, San Jose, Las Vegas area of the United States. Then, wham, one week they have two World Poker Tour events within a bus line of each other. So they call the New York Yankees versus the New York Mets the Subway Series. This is the Greyhound Bus Series for me. I'm going to be out in Atlantic City, probably a dive hotel. Last time I was there, I was uh, lifting my standing lamp as a weight because the gym was a bit of a joke where I was staying. Gonna, yeah, I'm going to win one of these WPTs. I've never said that before, Barry, but, you know, the more I think about it, have you ever seen a – I'm sure I heard this anecdote from someone. I can't remember who it was. Have you ever seen a golfer screw up because he was too confident? Yeah. You have? Yeah, my uncle. (laughs) (laughs) He was showing off. He wasn't too confident. Oh, okay. I see what's going on. Too cocky, maybe. Yeah. Versus, how many times have you seen a guy be too confident and screw up versus not confident enough in screwing up in the Masters or something like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can see it as palpable, you know. It's very much a choking response, but I was just thinking, I feel really confident. I really shouldn't hide that from anyone. I'd like to think I'm a more humble person than most poker pros because I think most poker professionals are compensating for something. I don't think they really have much of the work ethic that they need to really master a game like Nolan would hold them. And somewhere deep inside, they know that, hey, I haven't really studied rivers. I I don't really know. I I can't even make an educated decision when somebody three bets me. I don't know the ramifications of all the options, be it four bet call or fold. Uh, So what I'm going to really do is just anytime somebody questions me, I'm going to say like, no, you're an idiot. I think I, you know, I I know what I'm doing. Buddy, buddy, buddy. I want a poker tournament once. I know what's going on. Right. And, I don't like that kind of arrogance, but I used to just not want to express when I was feeling confident because I didn't want to get lumped in with other poker players. 
if you Google why are poker players just that phrase in Google, I thought the first thing that would come up would be why are poker players allowed to wear sunglasses or something like that. The first thing Google suggests to you, which is, which means it is the most searched for phrase that begins with those four words is why are poker players such douchebags? So <laughs> I never, you can look it up if you don't believe me, by the way. Uh, no, I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Barry is like, no challenge here. I've been in a card room before. But uh, I never wanted to be grouped in with that. But, yeah, I feel really confident. I feel really good. I feel really healthy. I'm excited to go out there for these tournaments. I think, I think I'm better than 98% of the players in those tournaments. That's not because I'm a great poker talent. It's just a lot of the East Coast tournaments get a lot of satellite winners, and – I'm sure they can hold their own in their home game and in, like, 1-2 or whatnot, but they're just not a working professional. They're not someone with I, – I have near 20 major final tables. It, they're just not someone with that kind of experience. When I get down to 15 people, I'm going to know what to do because I've been there more than a dozen times, whereas if it's your first time, it's going to be very natural. You're going to be very nervous, and I think – if you're better than that many poker players, it stands to reason you're going to win one of these if you enter enough of them. Hell, I've seen guys win poker tournaments where I thought they couldn't have been better than 10% of the people in this tournament. And they even made a show out of doing it. So, yeah, I'm feeling very good. I'm really excited, looking forward to it. I just want to play cards. You know that feeling, Barry? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I already... I've been thinking about next year, you know, coming back to Vegas again. I'm definitely going to come back probably later <laughs> June, July. And, um, yeah, looking forward to it. Also, there's a couple of tournaments uh, locally that are sort of bigger buy-ins. And, yeah, I'm going to go and play them. They're only like an hour's drive from my house. I think they're October, November time. So that'll be me probably for the year. And then, yeah, but it comes around quick again and then start thinking about Vegas and, I got a lot of um, other things going on in the states next year as well, possibly. So I might even, you know, extend the trip or something and do some some big uh, fantasy road trip or something. I've always wanted to drive across America and um, pick up some dodgy hitchhiker and then be. It's I think you'd have a lot of fun out here. And if you come over here and don't have a layover in New York, I'll be really mad. Because Lord knows I'm never going to come out to see you. That's just how it works. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, yeah. Every well, time you're, you're in Vegas, they're... for one. So <laughs> wait, what? Uh, no, I want it. Uh, it's Chicago next year. I think it's it's April actually around April. So um, I probably would do that and then come back and then go back out sort of late June, early July to Vegas. But yeah, definitely going back to Vegas next year. And hopefully I'm going to tie it into, my brother was on about going back as well, so I'd like to do that, then they could fly home, I could stay out a little bit longer, and then um, hopefully meet you in Vegas as well, and see what's what, and catch up with Carlos and all these other guys I've met, you know, over there. I'm, I'm really close to being in a place where I can play poker more often. I've already started doing that a bit more. I played online poker last week, I'm going to... Uh, knock on wood, hopefully play online poker tonight, uh, assuming the internet doesn't go out in my house or anything. And 
Yeah, it would be so fun to be out there in Las Vegas to see you, Carlos, everybody. It gets to be... People forget how fun it is to play cards. The A lot of... They say to be great at anything, you have to have dedication to keep your commitments. Well, I think a lot of times dedication comes from just loving it. And a lot of people say they love poker, but what they really mean is I love watching it on TV, I love the forums, I love reading the magazines, but when they're in a Venetian 340, they act like they just walked right into the electric chair and they're about to be strapped down. Like, when it, when am I going to be kicked out of this tournament with a bad beat? And it's like, no, that's not loving it. Loving it means you got to – sounds kind of sick, but I love the walk back to the hotel after a tournament doesn't go my way because many timid souls don't know the thrill of defeat. They don't know the fact that they could be defeated because if you can be defeated, you can win every single day. An accountant wakes up every day and cannot win. He can only lose. And it's a really big loss if he loses. Whereas if you lose at a poker game, that's not that big of a loss. And the sting is kind of good because it helps the lesson cement itself. But the win is just so damn good. And it feels so fun to be out there. It's just fun to be on the felt, right? You were having a lot of fun last time, right, Barry? Oh, yeah, def- definitely. Um, yeah. I the girls just love uh, you with uh, your uh, accent, right? So do the men as well. (laughs) Everyone does. They don't discriminate. Um, It's uh, no. The the thing is, I think the key point you said there is just it's like in business as well. It's that ability to take a punch. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can't take punches like that, whether it's you know a loss in business or you know someone screws you over, or if you've just sort of cruised up until a point, then I think you can start small things that you would well it's all relative so if you've taken a few hits early on in your career whether you're poker business whatever life you know what whatever it may be then i think you can deal with little bumps in the road better whereas if you don't then what you would maybe see as a bump in the road because you you're you know your ring rusty not ring rusty your battle hardened sort of thing then Something that's small to a person like that can all all of a sudden become catastrophic to someone, you Mm -hmm. know, not dealt with that. Like someone that's just ran well for, you know, a few years and then they go on a month's downswing, which is nothing, you know, like a month's downswing and then it's two months and then they start changing things and they just lose themselves. Like some people never recover from that. And again, whether it's poker or life or business. So, yeah, I think what you're saying is, like we've talked about it before, the perfect analogy you used was the train, you know, the train journey to these places is, is the reward. Like, that's your winnings, and anything else is, is, is a bonus sort of thing. I th- that's the way you have to look at it, because that's the things you remember, I think, as well, when you think back. You know, when I think back to my Vegas trip, unless you ask me and prod me, I'm not thinking about poker hands that I played there. You know, like throughout the tournament, I'm thinking about the guy I spoke to, the guy that I had a chat with on that table and um, one of the valleys I was talking to or, you know, some food I ate or some music that was on in a certain place. or It's things like that that, that I remember anyway. I don't, unless you sit and say, you know, your exit hand or this hand or talk about hands, then you, the brain starts. 
But the first things that jump to memory from any trip like that is the surroundings and what you did and what, you know whether you enjoyed it. So I think it's important to enjoy it because in 30 years, you might remember the odd hand, but you'll remember more train journeys than you do hands, you know? Mm, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, one of the memories I have vividly from Montreal was... I, I talk about this in my new book, too, about why you got to love it if you're going to be able to do this, was Dennis Peterson and I sitting in a diner, and he was Googling everybody at my table because I was at the final five tables of the WPT, uh, a really big tournament in Canada, so it was getting very excited, and us mumbling to the waitress in broken French to get our point across, me scribbling something, him Googling something, and trying to figure this out, and it, it and I was just thinking, who the hell gets to do this? Just be in Quebec, going for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And Dennis has this really funny country Canadian accent. He's like yelling figures at me at the same time. It's not very country, but it's a little, uh, it's a little Canadian, right? And enough to make it endearing. Uh, and it was, I was just thinking, this is such a, crazy moment in life like this is so it sounds weird but i was thinking this is so metal like this is so authentic this is so weird and i love that and the other thing i wanted to say is you were talking about when someone runs good they don't have mental stability i think that's a big thing one of the biggest assets i have in this tournament like you might have there's a lot of guys i will admit you know, maybe I'm overestimating myself, but maybe like one guy out of 50, maybe one guy out of 25 in a really tough tournament has more technical know-how than I have in poker tournaments, right? But you got to use what's between your ears for different things as well, which is your mental stability is a huge talent to have in poker. And unlike most talents, you can build that. I understand a some of these guys just have – the ability to do com combi combination counting in their head far beyond what I could do on the fly. So if they see a real curveball, they're they're going to count the combos a little bit better than I do. But if something goes out of their hands and they can't control it, it doesn't matter how good you can count combos if you can't think straight for the next four hours. And many of these guys never work on that. People talk about in basketball, it's one of those things when they're recruiting guys to college, they almost don't want the phenoms if they have a bad attitude because when phenoms are the best in their grade school, the best in their junior high, the best in their high school, the best in their college the first couple of years, when those guys finally see adversity, they don't know what to do with it. And my personal opinion is Michael Jordan is the best basketball player who ever lived because Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team. He had that chip on his shoulder for the rest of his life, and you would see him in the final minutes of the NBA Finals, and it was just breathtaking how much he wanted it because he had experienced failure, and it hurt him so much. He never wanted to experience it again. Whereas LeBron James, LeBron James arguably has – a lot more talent than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, like the team the Bulls had with Scottie Pippen, would have been a great team 
without Michael Jordan. But if you put LeBron James on any team in the NBA, they're really likely to go to the finals. But LeBron James was just an Adonis from the time he was a kid. And to the point where sometimes I think that hurts him. When we saw him the first times really facing adversity in the finals, I think he's got it now. It's really fun to watch his swagger now, his mental conviction now. But he didn't have it when he was younger because I just don't think he ever faced that. And I almost think it's better for you to go out there and get popped in these smaller tournaments, get three-outed to bubble in all these things before the WSP main event 2025 or whatever it is. Because if you've been popped eight times before, you're just going to roll with it. Now, that gives you probably... Barry, you probably don't have a ton of technical know-how. I'd still buy action of you in a lot of major tournaments because it's really hard for me to imagine you tilting. Like, hey, I've seen some things in my life of trading and traveling this fair earth. You're not going to scare me by pushing chips into a metal, into the middle of a pot. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Also, I don't sell action anymore. I'm too rich. <laughs> ah, you uh, you're doing well. Oh, you you play like uh, one and a half times a year, so yeah. you know you should have all your action. You know, which is which is about twice as much as I play. But yeah, anyway, I guess we should get some questions, huh? Yeah, let's get into the questions. Um, okay, this one is from our friend G, um, who we've not heard from in a while. Actually, I think this is an old one. I've Saved in the inbox. And oh, hold on. Let me get my bucket ready for my tears. Okay, what's his question? <laughs> uh, this one is, hello, Alex. When I am playing online, I'm trying to play not more than four to six tables at a time. If I'm playing four tables, I'm trying to shark scope every villain from all tables. With practice, it goes pretty quickly. But I'm wondering if instead it would be better to pay attention to the action and only shark scope during break time. I am using a HUD, that's why I think I can shark scope because the HUD pays attention. But when I see pros playing, I have never seen them shark scope so heavily as I do. I'm playing mostly online small to mid stakes. If I were a pro, I would probably almost play mid to high stakes tournaments and there are less bad players populating the tables and you can quickly identify them with HUD stats. So I guess there is more important to, take, to pay attention to the action there. Any comments on that? All right, G, let me get a deep breath in my booth table here in Montreal and take a sip off my coffee because I have a lot of questions here. Let me look through really haggard eyes that pierce into your soul, too. I feel like such an old, I feel like such an old timer with what I'm about to say because my first question is, if you can shark scope them, why are you on that site? I don't. I don't like sites where you can statistic track, and I don't like sites you can shark scope. Just period, right? If you want to get better at poker, you play on, like, America's Card Room or Poker Stars because America's Card Room has a lot of dolts, but you're also going to play some American pros, and that's kind of fun, right? But if you want to play just nothing but pros or guys that want to make money, and a site that would like to see you never, ever withdraw from them, play on Poker Stars, right? And my guess is, because Shark Scope is the most consistent on Poker Stars, my guess is that's where you're playing. 
and I hate it, right? There's You want a site that's throwing so many special tournaments that Sharkscope can't even keep up, right? And I, I don't – Sharkscope is valuable because – but here's the only way I ever use Sharkscope is I always wanted to see what kind of pro the guy was. If the guy had only played a couple tournaments and he was – he had a lot of money – uh, he was up a lot of money. I just assumed he was going to take every shot there was because this guy was on his high horse. If the guy had only played a few thousand tournaments and he was down a lot of money, I assumed the guy was going to take every shot as well because this guy just doesn't seem to care about the money. Now, if the guy's been playing uh, since the Clinton administration and he's, you know, it's pretty consistent, like 50,000 tournaments, 50,000 in profit or some very small profit margin, I just assume the guy never makes a big mistake. He's one of those don't make a big mistake guys. So that guy, like if the board comes like A6-7 and he called me out of the big blind and he check calls, I'm triple barreling every single time because I would assume he would three bet me with ace-king pre-flop and some ace-queens. And I know this guy is not calling me with ace-jack, ace-10, ace-nine, ace-eight, ace-five, ace-four, ace-three, ace-two for three shells. And he's probably going to check-raise with ace-six or ace-seven on the turn. So I would use it in that way. But I also sometimes, I don't watch the action religiously because, one, that's going to tire you out. Your attention span does have economic value. That doesn't just, uh, that's something Barry's been tweeting a lot from, what do you retweet, the Stoic Philosopher? Or what's that account that's amazing on Twitter, Barry, that you're always retweeting? Stoic Emperor, I think, maybe. The Stoic Emperor, yeah. But they had a nice little nugget the other day that said, your attention does have economic value, which is a strange concept at first, but you really think about it. Your attention directed can produce a dollar total or just a contentment total or it can do the inverse. Now, I do believe you have a limited amount of attention when you play poker. So traditionally, I let my note caddy catch everything. My note caddy, the way it's set up is I can replay hands. Uh, most of the time, the hands, like if you play, uh, if you play a 300 hand tournament, you might three bet like 15 times or 20 times if you're lucky, right? And a lot of those hands go like C-bet fold, and that's about the most complex hand you'll get. So a lot of times I don't even have to replay the hands. It just occurred to me last Thursday I didn't have to replay a single hand, huh? Anyway, but uh, no caddy's really cool because it'll bring up a hand replayer and you just watch through the hand really quickly and you go, oh, okay. Or it'll give you a breakdown of like he had this when he bet this much this time. Uh, the assassinatohud.com does all of this, by the way. And that stuff's really nice, but you got to know you're going to use it. And a lot of times people, when they have that crutch where, oh, I can watch the hand anytime. Perhaps I was just being lazy last Thursday. It was one of those, yeah, I can do it at any time, and then you just forget to do it. Whereas if you're paying attention, I don't think that's going to happen as much. Uh, one way you can pay attention, say when – so, so you have four tables. Something I can do if you are playing on that godforsaken site, Poker Stars, uh, pull up the hand replayer and make it like one other table and just 
whenever you get a hand at a table, click the replay option and then watch the last hand at just like lightning speed. And that'll give you an idea of what's going on. That's the fastest way to pay attention to every hand at every table. Uh, and the really cool thing is there's like new sites in India that have this feature, right? Uh, they don't have hold a manager to support and, uh, nobody's tracking them on shark scope, but you can replay hands like every hand that happens, right? Really quickly. So that's kind of neat. And, uh, America's card room has the replay feature as well, which I love. So that's the fastest way just to be watching hands. Sometimes I'll do that on my second screen if I'm just like, hey, a lot of chips have shifted around here. What's going on? So I think that's the best, best way to stay attention. But the fastest way to cheat the system, G, is just get in soft games. Everybody respects – when you go to a card room, it seems like the guy they respect the most is – one, the guy who won the most recent tournament, which to me is like a lottery winner walking into the post office, like, hey, look at me, right? Like, that doesn't really mean a ton to me, because I've seen some guys win tournaments that didn't really know a lot, and it's either, it's either who just won a tournament, uh, who looks like they're pontificating the deepest when they're in a hand, you know, and they have their wire glasses or whatever and their gelled hair and their graphic tee. Uh, the guy I really admire is the guy who can get in the softest games and make the most money quietly. And usually it's really hard to find those people because they play a lot of home games. They play on a lot of weird networks that nobody play on, nobody plays on. They're not opposed to playing on more commercial networks, but they want to make sure they have the best ones. If you're going to play on a big network, I I love America's Card Room. The reason we work with America's Card Room is I've been playing on that site since just out, I was out of high school. I think they've been around since like 2003, and the games have always been big. There's a lot of money, and there's a lot of dolts at every one of my tables. That doesn't mean other pros don't know about it in the United States, but enough guys are in there while they're watching the New Orleans Saints and just punting 30 bucks, and it makes it worth my while, whereas there's some sites that I don't get that feeling from. I feel like this is me and a bunch of Estonian kids who are working med school hours, and I don't know why I'm sitting here. And you want to be out of that as much as possible. You can always tell a soft network because you'll see certain guys rise to the top a lot. In Las Vegas, my buddy... Uh, is this Koger who said this? Anyway, Mr. Koger said this. Hope I, hope I said that right. And uh, hope it was him. Anyway, he was pointing out, you ever notice in uh, the WSP No Limit Hold'em events, you never see the same names again? Like year after year, it's just an array of new names for every event. Mm-hmm. And that's true because back in the day, you'd used to see the same names come to the top. And I don't think it's because... Those players were that good. I just think there's so many good players in Las Vegas that naturally it's going to be a little harder to fight through. Whereas you'll see some of the same guys just stomping ass on a lot of different networks, and that's where you want to be. So I think you got to get yourself in some softer games, my man, where if you, if your attention span fledges just for a second, if that's a word, 
if your attention span is found fledgling for a second, it's not going to count against you as much as much as it would be in a poker stars event. I hope that helps you. Good luck to you. Okay. And the next question today is from Steve. Hi, I'm a big fan of the podcast and Alex's work, having bought the Myth of Poker Talent and his Master the Flop series. Alex recently sent an email in which one of his students created flashcards based on some of Alex's population data. Amongst the data was the fact that the population only folded 27% to a turn C-bet and 20% to a river C-bet. From this it seems... Sorry? <laughs> Go ahead, that is true. Anyway, continue. Oh, true. From this it seems clear that our battling ranges should be value-heavy in readless large field situations where balance is not a concern because we will likely not play enough hands with any given villain for them to reliably decode our strategy. Is this correct? And then there's more of the question, Alex, so you can answer now or wait till the end that part. Um, also, in this light, should we be bluff battling our draws or anything at all for that matter? I have tended to have a rule of thumb I only barrel draws on the turn where the turn improves not only my pot equity, but also fold equity. For example, we raise three, eight of clubs, seven of clubs, and the flop is ten of clubs, two of hearts, six of diamonds. Turn is king of clubs. I will then reassess on the river if unimproved, but may barrel on another Oh, You did not just say that to me. Anyway, continue. <laughs> This produces a flop turn river C-bet percentage of about 70, 45, 60. I'm questioning if this is wrong, given your pop reads, and should confine my C-bet bluffs to the flop. Selectively, of course, not just firing 100% on any flop, and simply bet widely for value on later streets, checking behind withdraws in position to get the free river card. Many thanks, Steve. Hey, why'd that midfielder kick there? I don't know. I'll reassess when I get there. <laughs> hey, I tried. I tried a soccer analogy, a football analogy. Did it work, Barry? Uh, kind of. <laughs> it's like the simplest sport on earth, and I can't figure it out. <laughs> One of those things you grow up with to see the subtleties. It's like very. It looks very simple, and then I started reading Soccernomics and Soccermatics. I was like, oh, my God, Like, there's so much going on here. And, yeah, anyway, why would you pass to that player? I don't know, man. I'll reevaluate when I get there. What? <laughs> Sorry, one more round. One more round. Why would you run the ball on third and 22? I don't know. I'll reevaluate on fourth down. But, anyway, uh. I can go all day. I, I'm just, re, I know he said reassess, but it, it's the same thing. Uh, just giving you a hard time, Steve. That's what I do with my friends when I want them to play a little better. And you're on the right track, I want you to know. So the big thing is, let's start with this, which is you can, with no caddy, with hold a manager, and some guys even have their own statistic tracking things that aren't even on the market. You can get the gist of where the market is going. And in the poker market, something that I've suspected for a very long time and finally 
couple of years back, I said, damn, and I ought to prove this because this is my day job, is people are folding a lot less to turn bets. And it turned out I was right. People used to fold the turn bets much more than they did, which is why if you watch old training videos, uh, excuse me, people used to fold the turn bets much more than they do now. Uh, if you watch old training videos, there's a very big emphasis on, oh, the ace came on the turn, be sure to barrel this. You remember that, Barry? Mm-hmm. And uh, good job, Barry. That's why you make the big bucks. Now, anyway, you, there used to be an emphasis more on betting the turn and giving up on the river. And I just kept saying, I don't think that's right. And finally, I sought out to prove it. And what I found is, the generic poker player does not like folding on the turn. Sorry, you might be hearing the New York street sweeper. Nothing I can do about that. Uh, what happens is, if you think about it, most guys, when they call a pre-flop raise or a pre-flop three bet, and they call a flop C bet, they usually don't want to give up on the turn, and for good reason. People usually fold their high cards on the flop. You have a high card, you see a C bet on the flop, what do you do? You generally fold. Unless you have a really good eye card, the board is especially dry, and, or you got backdoor draws or something. But generally, you got King Jack on an Ace Nine Five board. You're you're folding to a decent sized C bet. If you have Queen Ten on a Jack Seven Five board, you're probably not peeling just with the three to a straight. Unless you have backdoor draws, especially if the bet is substantial and what ends up happening, and it, this doesn't even cover all the suited connectors that miss, or just uh, how, how much more contained people are when they're facing a three-bet spot. Now, people get really honest also in three-bet pots and fold much more high cards on the flop. Now, when somebody has a pair and they've called the flop C-bet with it, before they've been resilient and not wanting to fold the turn. But now they're really resilient because what else often happens is people don't know to triple barrel. There's many times I don't barrel the turn unless I'm barreling river as a bluff. And I fire out that triple barrel bluff more than anybody I really talk cards with most of the time because I don't see the point if I've got the turn and most guys are going to give me the call. Now, you might be saying, hey, wait a minute. If people call 80% of the time on the river – why in God's green earth would you ever be betting there? Well, I'm glad you asked. You have to look at the distribution of what people are doing. So what ends up happening, when I, when I constructed Master Tournament Poker in one class, what I was using was analytics data. I tried to pick numbers that I thought were not going to change for a long time because I thought they were rooted in human behavior I think the book Thinking Fast and Slow does a terrific job of explaining why humans are so bad at accepting a loss. The Undoing Project discusses it at length as well. I constructed a strategy around that, and every review I've gotten back has been, this is bonkers good for my game. Thank you so much for this. But that doesn't mean I never triple barrel bluff. That means that's my recommendation when you're playing like a 1K tournament in the heartland of America, or you're playing a 500-euro tournament in Scotland, I think that'll do quite well for you because a lot of guys who are playing recreationally, they don't want to fold to the river. Uh, I mean, how many times, Barry, have you seen a guy call the river and he knows he's beat? Oh, 
constantly. Yeah, it's, it's almost strange, right? It's like it's the biggest bat. You would think, like, hey, man, yeah. think about it for a second. I think, it's, right? like you say, it's a human nature thing. They know this is oh, the yeah. end of it. There's not going to be, a, you know, another bit. You know, it's like this ends this now. This ends That's the problem or whatever. And some people would just rather throw the money in and without thinking. And then, then some of them, you know, it'll dawn on them, wow, I just called off like 20 big blinds. They recount their stack after the hand and they just realise now that going from comfortable, they're down to like 10, 15 big blinds now. And that's why you and I will always have a job, Barry, and everybody listening. Every time I see that, I just... It's a... Not to hijack this thread, but every time I see that, I think I will have a living anywhere, anytime for the rest of my life. You could drop me naked in Kazakhstan... And next week I would have a job and clothes, right? It's just because card playing, humans are so bad at card playing. You and I were bad at it when we started, right? We probably did a thousand of those calls before we went, wait a second. I'm never right when I do this. But, yeah, it's human nature. And the thing about it is the average guy does not fold enough on the river. They've proven when they do tests of humans, they're really bad at accepting losses. If they can gamble to possibly, uh, what's that word, ameliorate? Is that is that the word? I read that word a bunch. I've never said it aloud. Anyway, if there's anything they can do to soothe their loss, to possibly get rid of it, they will do it. That's what humans do. And they'll gamble up to do that. Now, 80, most people, I'm not going to say 80%, most people are like that, but you got to look at the distribution. There's an average number for, like if you check the turn, how often does a guy bet the river? I can't remember what the number was, but whatever it was, it was worthless because if you look at the distribution, it's all over the place, right? Some guys bet any high card they called the flop with, some guys won't even lead top pair good kicker. So it doesn't really help you to know what the average is because no one is playing to that average. Whereas this is a very good number to know because about 90% of guys are playing like that. However, there exists a subset of like 10% of guys that overfold rivers. I was actually, coincidentally, I was talking about one of them earlier this session, which is... You get a guy who's just been sitting on his leather ass for 10 years and has never seen serious success in poker. That is a guy who wants to commit seppuku if he makes a mistake. He is not going to screw up. He would much rather fold instead of calling and seeing a winner. Now, that guy, I'm triple barreling all night and day. Now, figuring out which guy is which is a bit of an art, but you'll know who it is. A lot of times, like, fidgety satellite qualifiers that don't talk that much. I, I, I hate to say this, but I pick on them so much. If I think the money means a lot to you, like if we're playing, you know, if we're playing like fi a 5,000 euro tournament and you're from a country where 5,000 euros is a lot of money, I'm going to bully you. I'm going to go after you. And if you can call me down, that's great. But I'm just letting you know, most of the time it doesn't happen. So, it would make sense to most of the time keep your range very value-oriented value, very value -oriented 
until you have further information. And I really think if you never bluffed, unless it was a blindingly good spot, I, I do not think you would be losing that much money in Nolan and Hold'em. I got, if you watch Master Tournament Poker in one class, I don't really recommend any triple barrel bluff. I'm like, if you want to do it, here's how you do it, but I'd recommend against it. And I've gotten 50 emails from people like, yeah, I don't even try to bluff anymore. Now I'm going deep in tournaments left and right. Like, good. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It matters how deep in the tournament you finish. I, uh, one of the smartest things I've ever heard about poker came from Carlos. He said, everybody always talks about, I want to be the best. I want to be the worst player in the world who wins the WSOP main events. <laughs> and I was like, that's a great quote, right? He was like, I want to be the guy that, you know, and he might have been quoting somebody or something, but it, that really stuck with me. He was like, I just want to get the furthest, right? I don't mind being called lucky. Well, you might not have the long drive, but it's about getting the ball in the hole. It's about being crafty. And part of being crafty is, hey, if bluffs aren't working with people in 2018 in tournaments, maybe I'm going to ease off on that. Maybe in 2023, the distribution is going to shift. And everybody's going to be really careful about calling triple barrels. Now I'm going to fire out at it. God, poker's fun. Isn't it interesting how this works? And going for, should we ever double barrel draws? I think double barreling draws. I am shocked how many times I go into a database and I filter for double barrel turn. And then I go into hand value filter. And I put high card, right? So that gets me most of their draws. And it's amazing to me when I watch those hands play out, and it's like they're not getting a lot of value on the river. They're not getting a lot of folds on the turn. And I just don't see this working out as much as I'd like. So I started trying to retool that. Now, if you're playing cash games, you can't really be adjusting your bet sizes with your draws, with your air balls, with your sets. It's okay to semi-bluff with a few draws because the bet doesn't need to work that much with the drawing equity, especially if the guy doesn't raise that much. And it gives you a little cover for when you're barreling your set. That's fine. But in a tournament, the reason we talk about tournaments all the time is this is the most fun because you just kind of get to come in and be a bomber. You get to do what you want because in 42 hands, no one's going to know you listen to the One Outer podcast. They don't know what training videos you watch. By the time they're starting to get a handle on what you're doing, you're at another table. What I like to do, I change my bats up like this. Okay, so let's say this is a very Matthew John thing, too. I, I really want to make sure I'm quoting my sources right, uh, citing my sources correctly. Let's say I've got... Let's say I'm deep in a poker tournament and I've got Jack Nine of Diamonds. And we're both, we're not actually, let's say we're not deep in a poker tournament. We're like 40% of the way through, but we're very deep right now. Me and another guy got like 80 big blinds. I open on the button, the guy calls. The board comes eight of diamonds, seven of diamonds, four clubs. He checks, I bet. Uh, half pot, he calls. Barry, what do you think's the best hand he has when he calls here? Say the flop again. 
Eight of diamonds, seven of diamonds, four of clubs. He just calls you. Um, I'd say a pair. Excellent. Well done. Because most people, most people like to raise their big hands, right? Especially with all those draws out there. So he's kind of, he lets me know he has a pair. Uh, he probably doesn't have a high card. You know, like if he's got a six of spades there, that's kind of a weird call. Uh, I mean, he might have just a gut shot and he'll be calling, but not everybody does that, right? And he's probably not going to check call with, like, queen nine of spades, right? Uh, so I think it's more weighted toward Paris here. So the turn comes just a deuce of spades. Brick, he checks me. If I have... I go over bet there with a lot of my range. And if I have tens there, I'll bet 110% of the pot. If I have eight, seven there, I'll bet 110% of the pot. If I've got my jack nine of diamonds, I'll bet 110% of the pot. Because if you think about it logically, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to bet half pot there. Uh, I think he's weighted towards pairs. So if I have a value hand, I think pairs are more likely... A range that's mostly pairs is going to call bigger bets than a range that's a lot of high cards, draws, and pairs. So I should be betting bigger. And if I'm betting as a bluff, uh, a range that's mostly pairs is not going to be folding to half pot, whereas they might fold to a bigger bet. So it doesn't really make sense to be betting like the half pot on either of them. And I started having my students bet bigger there with a lot of their range, and I got a lot of glowing reports back. I get a lot of folds. I get a, I get a lot of angry looks at the card room now. And I'm like, oh, just tell them you had a set of sevens. You got scared, right? And then they're like, oh, yeah, now everybody's really nice to me. They think I'm an idiot. I'm like, good. You want to be like a pool shark. You know, pool shark's always like, God, geez, shucks, I got that shot in. That's a hustler. That's a guy who's going to be around for a long time. The guy who's like, slamming around the room telling everybody how good he is. I, I don't like his future in this game, right? And poker is a lot about making your opponent see a mirage that's not there. In tournament poker, you are going to miss the flop a lot. And due to the rising blind structure, you need to find a way to win pots somehow or you're going to be out. I would much rather them see a bumbling fool who keeps hitting hands than a shark who keeps trying to take pots because you know what? People aren't going to be intimidated forever. They don't pray to you at night. They don't think you're God. They're going to start calling you down and playing back. And if they've been in poker for five years, like most of these people are now, they know not to be intimidated by you because they've seen your type before and they've seen you disappear before. So they don't think that highly of you. I would much rather you be the bumbling fool there who overplayed their hand and won a couple of pots. Play it like that. I think that'll work for you, Steve. Good luck to you. Okay. Um, could we have time for one more question? Let sure, let's do it. Let's see. Um, I'll if it's a brief one. Yeah, that's why I'm just checking. Um, where are we? No, it's, it's, it's not. It's not. And it's from a guy... Who is a regular, so I think it deserves proper time. We'll leave that one to the next show. Uh, it's a it's a double section and stuff going on in the question, so we'll leave that to the next one. Um, okay, Alex, how can people get in touch with you for uh, your coaching? Are you still coaching? 
Yeah, I still, I, I haven't taken on many new clients. Actually, yeah. no, I haven't taken on any new clients in a long time. But, yeah, like, the guys I did have bought a lot of lessons, so I still, you know, at least once a day I still coach. But, right. you know, once those run out, we'll see. Maybe I'll take on a few other guys. But it's one of those things you want to do. I, I used to do a ton of sessions and, like, you know, do a tune-up of a game and get a guy going. But I'm just not into that anymore. I really want to retool people's games, talk to them, get to know them, uh, send them homework and all that. So it's much more of a deep commitment. So I've got to be really careful about how many guys I take on because I have to give my undivided attention to everybody. Uh, other thing, yeah, if you guys want to contact me at alexandpokeradrush.com, you can do that. Uh, for anything, uh, you can also follow my YouTube at Assassin Hour Coaching. Check out my classic training videos on Tournament Poker Edge. That's where you see live sweat videos and hand history reviews by me. Uh, how to think like a poker player still inexplicably on sale because uh, I keep getting people saying, like, I want to feature it in my store at that price. So, yeah, while it's on sale, be sure to be sure to pick it up or check out. If uh, if you don't have a pot to piss in, check out the free videos uh, that Barry is going to pull up. That'll actually help you quite a bit. And uh, follow me on Twitter, at The Assassin Auto, and sign up for my newsletter if you want to get free YouTube videos, podcasts, articles, practically every day of the week or every other day. Sign up for my newsletter at PokerHeadRush.com, top right. That's my butt-ugly former blog, but the... The newsletter, if you turn images on, is really pretty. I'm really proud of that newsletter. And make sure you add Alex at PokerEdRush.com to your contacts list to make sure that Google or whatever your email provider doesn't throw it into the spam folder. Okay. And when's the new book coming out again? New book should be coming out this September. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, still do. We're doing the final touches right now. Publisher is calling me less and less, so I think that means we're out of little things that need to be touched up. But, yeah, thank so you for that, Christmas, Barry. Before Christmas, anyway. Oh, way before Christmas. Yeah. Before yeah. Christmas. Exploit. Okay. Uh, I, hold on, I can't pronounce it. Keep an eye out for exploitative play in live poker. How to manipulate your opponents into making mistakes. That's, uh, yeah, that's going to be out probably within the next month. And that's... Uh, the best value you'll ever get is a book, right? Like, you can either get a performance coach for several thousand dollars, or you can buy their book for 30 bucks and yeah. get a lot of speeches you know they've given in their sessions. So be sure to check out that book. Yeah, I saw someone tweet something about that the other day. It was about Brandon Adams' uh, book, which is like Personal Organization for Degenerates or something along that title. Ah. I, I think that is the title. And some guy, it wasn't even a poker player, it was someone else I follow, maybe a trader or a, a better, and um, he had, what a world we live in. You can get access to brand, a guy like Brandon Adams' thought process and the way he runs his life for something like $8 on Amazon just now. You know, <laughs> it's just... It really, it really is mind-boggling. There's no... I've always thought it would be so interesting to be another person, not... To think what I think, but just to be almost like 
a being John Malkovich observer and go, I wonder what they think, right? Or yeah. just to be privy to what goes on in their head. And the fact, yeah, that you can pay eight bucks to hear this guy and how he does it, it's, it's almost magical. I, I know we use that word sometimes and it sounds kind of hokey, but to me it is magical. I love, I love reading, reading rainbow music plays. Anyhow, continue. Yeah. Okay, um, keep your questions coming in for Alex. Questions at oneouter.com on email or post them in the Facebook group or Twitter and we will get them read out. And um, just before we close, I think there was a little bit, a guy wrote in a nice little thing. I can't remember what he's, here we go. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll give him a shout out. It was Mike Matheny and he posted on the Facebook page, uh, you guys are amazing. I've been binging episodes since I found the show. And finally, I'm caught up to 2014. (laughs) My work day day goes much quicker as I try and get through them all. Thank you so much. Very excited to have stumbled upon this. So that was nice. Thanks for writing in. We do like that when people take the time. I told him, get in touch with a question, and he said he will do it at a later date. So good luck, Mike, if you're playing this weekend. Okay, Alex. uh, Let me thank Mike, too. Um, after I tip, nobody ever calls my cell phone ever. Hold on a second. Tell the marketer, I'm sure. Mike, well, you just heard the One Outer podcast is just the same as the day it started. Uh, <laughs> hey, Mike, I, I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, it means a lot, man. Uh, it's, it really is flattering to know you have an audience and that there are people around the world who you have never met that you have entertained and educated. That means a lot to me. If you, uh, if you keep listening, Barry and I will keep doing this. Thank you so much. Feel free to write in at any time. Yeah, and that goes for everyone. And keep your questions coming in for Alex. We will get them read out. And the one we didn't get to today was from our Mr. Aaron Lapoin. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so we, we deserve, he deserves that. So we'll open next week's show with the question from Aaron. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Keep the questions coming in, and we'll see you next Thursday. Cheers. Cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday major on the planet with $1 million on the table every week. Yes, $1 million guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1 million guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.